0: Hey everyone, my name is Derek and I am a dildo smith. I am the creator of Amavidi, and I make dildos every day. I'm here to do the weekly AMA, Ask Me Anything. This is Ask a Dildo Smith, where I answer your questions about all things relating to dildos, lubes, dildo making, or anything else that might come up. So let's see here. Hey, I'm here. All right. Um, right, let's see got a few things to cover tonight um, got George over here running all of the uh, stuff in the background ah. wrangling wrangling any chats or uh, any direct messages that might pop up so uh, she can get those organized and sent over to me so that I can actually get to them. so... Let's see, I think before we dive into everything, um, I would be remiss if I never mentioned my website. So you can find all of our toys and such at www.amavidi.com. That's A-M-A-V-I-D-I.com or amavidi.etsy.com. Now, having said that, I will say that we are moving away from Etsy, so uh, we'll be using the amavidiwe.com website as our primary location for any new drops, toys, etc. Alright, um, before I jump into questions, because I actually I did something kind of different this week. I've done it once before, but... Um, I did a post on Twitter, which, if you're not following me on Twitter, then you probably wouldn't have found me here. But anyway, um, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, George threw up a link to uh, Twitter, um, it's at Amaviti Studios. So you can uh, follow me and then also send me a direct message if you have any questions or anything. I'm happy to answer questions even outside of the AMA's. Um, I had somebody send me a couple of questions this week that uh, were rather um, specific and pertinent. And so uh, we actually had probably a 20, 30 minute long chat. Um, And, you know, I'm happy to do it. So, yeah, jump on Twitter, hit me up and you can... Get your questions answered and probably even bring them onto the the live stream sometime. Um, Oh, the other weird one I did this week, I did a poll. Um, I had this idea of doing a kind of a a live call in show or zoom in show um, where you could call me up on Zoom or Skype or something like that. And we could actually have, like, a video chat. Or if you're not into video, we could do voice only for your side. Um, but uh, I think that'd be interesting to to kind of get some interaction going on there. Um, you may have noticed that we have not had any guests in a few weeks. Um, I have several lined up, but i put all of them on hold. Pending... Well, the the video card market, really, Um, which if you haven't followed video cards, it's whacked out right now. Um, You really can't buy a video card for a computer or anything close to retail pricing. So um, until we get that sorted out, then I will probably not be having any guests on or we're going to have to change the structure of it. And I have some ideas on how to do that. So, uh, yeah, those were kind of the, the Twitter posts from this week that I thought were a little interesting. Um, Oh, following up on something that came up a while back, I had mentioned dick cases and for those who don't know, a dick case is a bookcase full of dicks dildos stildos whatever you want to call them and um, I promised to come back around and uh, show off a few if I could find some so let me see if I can make this switch work here yeah so here's one this is actually really kind of pretty with the black lights and everything it's it's really really kind of nice um, here's another one and I have to I have to say when I see um, collections like this I am just amazed uh, there's so much variety in there and I haven't looked to see if there's anything of mine in there yet Of course you know that's that's me I'm a maker so I want to see whether or not my stuff is in there um and then this one this was uh oh, I, I just love the way this one's laid out the colors everything about it um and then here it is in natural light so anyway that is a dick case um and that's something that uh, came up in a previous discussion and so i want to make sure i kind of came back around to it um george Get me lined up with any questions that uh, might be coming in through direct messages or chat. Um, I see one from Size Queen. Uh, What other than mica do you use for coloring? Mica is pretty much, um, and I'm gonna be a little bit more specific about this, but uh, pigments that are body safe, that are FDA reviewed, and even eu reviewed often use mica as a base in order to create some of that um that metallicness the the ripples the waves the folding that happens a lot of times that is reinforced by micas so um, what do i use besides micas i have a few pigments that are silicone specific they are liquid pigments and they are designed um, to be a little bit more on the opaque side and a little bit more on the... Um, what's the word I want to use? Uh, they're not going to have a whole lot of variation in their coloring. I'm going to see if I can find Bunkit and the No Frills Dough. Um, I think here's one. Let's see if I can pull that up. Some of these, something like this, um, and these are not specifically, I'm not saying that Kenton is using these, uh, specifically or the pigments I'm talking about specifically, but like in this pink one here that has kind of m- almost no marbling to it, that is... From a pigment that is probably um, not based in mica. Um, now there are liquid pigments that you can add. I think I uh, I have a few that I have added silver to. So I start off with say a blue liquid pigment, and then add a silver into it. And that really brings out some, some nice marbling and folding and things like that. Um, but generally speaking, 90% of the pigments out there, 95% of the pigments out there, are gonna be based off of mica. Um, and one of the nice things about mica is, it's generally gonna be, and, you know, um, it is probably about as close to Inert as you're going to find. Um, There are, when you're looking at pigments, you can't just look at the mica. You also have to look at the other colorants that are used. And often that is uh, something that may or may not be body safe. So, um, all right. Add one here. This was from the squishy questions and I'm just going to refer to them as questions from my squishy post earlier. Let's see if I can find it. There it is. Are there, this is from Dong Sommelier. Are there designs you won't do and why is the technology not there yet? Customers aren't into it or other reasons. Are there in your opinion, certain models that tend to have amazing pores constantly while there might be others that rarely ever do it. Okay, lots of stuff there. So let me a little bit of a refresher. Are there designs you won't do and why? Yes, Um, I generally won't do a custom design for somebody. Um, If they come to me with a specific design in mind and want me to 3D model it, print it, mold it, pour it, all of that, I am just probably not going to do it. Um, it has have to be a very rare occasion that I would. Uh, as for why, part of it has to do with my own aesthetic and what I want Amaviti to be. And so there are categories that fit within that, and then there are categories that don't. So um, that's kind of the starting point and um i can think of a couple of categories that i probably would never get into um but they're generally going to be um things that i don't think are safe um i've actually had i've been wanting to do a plug for a long time but i haven't found um a design i like that i think is also going to be safe so uh yeah that's that's one reason why that hasn't come around yet is the technology not there yet customers aren't into it or other reason i, I would follow my file it under other because i'm it's more of a personal choice than anything as far as the technology um i don't think that uh there i can think of a couple of things that I'm limited on in terms of the technology and I only say technology, it's equipment that I don't have. Um, you can do some interesting things with a pressure pot that you cannot do with gravity or just a vacuum chamber. So there are a couple of things that because of equipment I can't do. Um, Are there certain models that tend to have amazing pores constantly, while there might be others that rarely ever do? Yes. Uh, I can only speak to my particular models. The Metropole almost always comes out nice. The Versustan is a little bit more limited, and it has to do with the diameter of the toy itself the the versusten comes down to a fairly narrow point and so there's not a whole lot of room for folding and ribboning to happen and one of the things about pours and getting those those beautiful designs within the the silicone is how you pour it and if you've got a a big wide open hole and you're pouring into that, then you can, you can do some interesting things. But if that, that mold is really small and really tight, you really can't do a whole lot of manipulation of the, the pour the silicone as it's pouring into the, the mold, um, to change things very much. Um, The Saturnalia uh, does some really nice reptilian styles. I, for some reason that one really likes to almost get kind of scaly looking. Um, I've done a few where the, it, several in a row that had this really nice reptilian kind of vibe to the, the patterning. Um, the, the Parabolica is another one that's interesting because of the way that it's shaped. Um, Let's see if I can pull that up. Um, By the way, if you haven't been there, this is uh, the Amaviti website. You can jump around, go shopping. Um, Here is the Parabolica. And if you think about the way that this would sit in a mold, so this one, it's going to be with... Let's see if I can get back to where is it? Ah, uh, wandering all over the place here. If you think about it in terms of that head and you have it upside down, um, then it's going to create a very narrow area in that neck. And because of how narrow that is and the way it tightens down at that neck area, um, it makes it very hard to hit dead on. And so the head of that one often is going to be a little bit more mixed. And so it's going to be a little bit more neutral in terms of patterning. And then it's going to develop patterning as it goes along. So, yeah, um, lots of, lots of, well, Bits and pieces to that question. So. Another one. Let's see. George has got one here for me. Uh, What toy do you sell that has gone through the most significant changes from when you first thought of it? Um, And as an example, a toy that was equine in the sketches, but ended up as a dual shaft by the time it went into molding or something like that. Um... The most significant changes, uh, the Metropole went through a few iterations. Um, the Versustin is actually an evolution of a spiral design. There were actually three other iterations before that one. So technically the Versustin is a spiral 4.0. Um, the Parabolica went through a couple of iterations during the development process. Uh, There were some specific areas that it liked to trap bubbles. And so I ended up redoing the mold or the the master a little bit in order to reduce that. So everything goes through a certain number of iterations. And probably I'd say the average is three or four. Um, And sometimes I get lucky and they're fairly on point from the beginning. But uh, just from the simple number of variations, probably the Versustin. And there was a twist, there was a unicorn horn, and then there was a unicorn horn variant that came out before the Versustin. So um, that one was probably the one that had the most iterations on it. Ah, let's see. How in the world do you pull toys with wide tops out of the molds? Do the molds open up? Why aren't there seams? Um, Let's see, I'm going to take the last part first. I'm going to answer it two ways because I'm not entirely sure what the question was. Um, If they're asking why don't we have seams in the molds or why are there not seams in the toys themselves when they come out of the molds. Uh, why do why are there no seams? It's because we use glove molds. Um, at least I do. Not everybody does. And because uh, if you think of you know a glove, and then you would pour your silicone into that, then when you pulled it out, there wouldn't be any seams because there's no cut line. There are ways of doing block molds, and lining up your seams near your, your cut line um and using mm, usually uh, i think mm, i think i've seen it done with vaseline or petroleum jelly and you can wipe petroleum jelly down the that cut line and then line it up build your your frame for everything tie it down uh, and then do your pour, and you'll have either minimal or no seams on the, the toy itself. Um, the, the, the petroleum jelly acts as kind of a, a gap filler, and it allows the, the cut line, the cut pieces, to line up nicely. Uh, do the molds open up. Um, if you use a block mold, you're probably going to either... Well, you may have a cut down the side of it, to create a a seam that you can open up and get your toy out of. But as far as pulling toys with wide tops out of the molds, there are two things that are going to influence that. One is the firmness of the mold itself and the firmness of the silicone. Uh, Both of them are silicone and you will... If you've got something that has a big head on it, and a narrow neck, think of like a, a plug, um, or something with a knot in it, like a, a canine design. Um, they, Because there's that that part that is gonna have to come through this narrow neck, you're gonna wanna use a softer silicone for your mold. And so what you're looking for is a silicone that Is strong enough to firm enough to hold its shape but soft enough to compress when you're trying to pull that out the I have seen um, some people using 3d printed molds I have seen that done a a couple of times um, which It works very well for certain designs, but if you've got anything with any undercuts or a neck or some narrowing to it, it's going to be very difficult to get that out. Now, that's the mold side of it and how you approach making the mold. You will also probably want to pull your your toy out when uh, it's a little bit green. I call it green. It's a little bit Underdone, it's not fully cured um because it's going to be softer a little bit more pliable at that point and you'll be able to pull it out and it will compress more um and so you can have a fairly strong neck on something a fairly tight neck and still get it out if you use a, a soft silicone and you pull it before it's a uh, fully cured um At that point you're also taking a little bit of a risk because the uncured or not fully cured silicone is a little bit fragile and so it's gonna want to tear a little bit so all right were there any other questions in the chat uh kjh113 on twitch asks you actually make dildos yes actually i do um I can actually show you some let's see um this is the saturnalia this is one that uh i do this is the one that has kind of a that almost reptilian kind of marbling on it, it was kind of nice um and then these are the bases uh This one is the Metropole and it's kind of a group shot, has a little bit more of a kind of a retro futuristic design. Um, So yeah, I actually make dildos, Uh, do it just about every day. Um, So let's see. Follow-up question from KJH: How did you even get into that? Actually, that was one of the questions I was going to do tonight. Let's see. Can't remember who asked that one. Bed Bible. Bed Bible. That's who it was. My question is very basic. Not sure it's been asked. What's the story of how you got here? Did you just wake up one day and say, "I want to create beautiful dildos"? Um, kind of. Uh, I don't know how far back to go. Um, I have had some creative endeavors in my past I worked in fine jewelry. We actually did custom designs. We manufactured and did everything from scratch. So I have some metalworking experience. Um, I created a, a company, um, actually I'll tell you the origin of my other company, uh, George bought me a gift certificate to uh, the local fab lab, Fabrication Laboratory. Um, And it's one of the few in the country that actually allows you to just get a membership. You don't have to be part of a university or something like that. But she got me a gift certificate for my birthday. And um, in experimenting with it, um, I found a niche that uh, I could get into Um, and I was actually, it's not even dildo adjacent, but it started off doing laser cut accessories for tabletop gaming. Um, and that started off as kind of a hobby and then turned into a business. And I pulled in a few clients who wanted me to make gaming accessories for them. And so it turned into a legitimate business and then we branched off into making some resin pieces. Um, We actually started pouring our own resin. And in order to do that, you have to make silicone molds. And so what we ended up doing was making the silicone molds for the toys, not the toys, for the gaming stuff, pouring them in resin. And I've got extra silicone sitting around. I'm thinking, well, what do I, what can I do with this? And that was when I had this huge idea of making dildos. And so, yeah, I mean, to did you just wake up one day and say, I want to create beautiful dildos? Kind of. Yeah. Um, You know, it was kind of a long, wandering, meandering path to get there. But eventually I was like, that sounds like a lot of fun. And so I made a couple and I'm not going to say that they were wonderful. Great. They had problems that, that, yeah. Um, and then I kind of refined it and eventually, um, got to the point where I had a few different models and I had developed enough confidence to be able to take them out to the market and let people see them and people liked them. And so we kept doing it and it's turned into its own little business in its own right. Uh, I have, a. A minion who bounces between the two different companies and we're you know some days we're laser cutting stuff and some days we're pouring silicone, um, making dildos. Um and it's just been a hell of a lot of fun. And I guess the, the moral of the story is that yeah, you know, yes, you may be wondering. Um, you may not feel like you you've figured out what you want to do with your life. But eventually you're going to come around to something that you enjoy. And so, yeah, um, that's kind of the story of how I got into making dildos um, and it's a hell of a lot of fun. So did I uh, beat that one into the ground enough? Any other questions that you want to follow up with on that one? Um I had another one. I'm gonna check and see if George has got me any other questions here. Um, Well, here's a a quick one. I'm sure pulling toys out of their molds makes interesting and entertaining noises. Which of your models do you think makes the best sound when you pull it out of that fresh dilly? Um, You know who has the best sounds? Kenton over at Funkit. I've seen him use, um, I've seen Kenton use um, his 3D printed molds and uh, when he pulls some of those out of there it makes this pop. I use glove molds so I don't get that satisfying pop uh, from mines, but uh, um, it's, I think there's a video of him uh, pulling one out, might find it on his Twitter um let's see i think there was one more oh there's a couple more here Uh, i'm super interested in the pouring aspect how did you figure out learn pouring techniques can you recommend sources to learn or is it all just trial and error um pouring is the dark art of dildo making um the the chemicals, the the mixing, the mechanics of it—that's easy. Anybody can learn that. The pouring um, is really something that, until you have developed a certain amount of experience with pours, then you're really going to be doing trial and error. Um, We've been doing this for about three years, um, about a year, year and a half publicly, and I can say that I am just now getting to the point where I can make some pretty good predictions based off of the colors that we've chosen, the firmness that we're using, um, all of the various things that go into it, I can make a pretty good prediction about how good something is going to look. But until you get that um, get that experience, you're pretty much going to be doing it by trial and error. Um, one of the things that really affects the way that something pours and the ribboning and the marbling that comes through it is the viscosity and we're playing with different viscosities at this point that we can try to manipulate the viscosity in such a way to be able to overcome maybe some of the limitations of a particular design or toy in order to really push the marbling, the direction that we want or the layering that we want. But technique is probably 90% of it. Uh, the other 10% is primarily going to be viscosity really. And yeah. So, uh, what else have we got? What's your favorite squishy? I am kind of... I'm kind of partial to the poops. Um, I have some some molds that look like poops. And um, yeah, those are my favorites. All right. I'm going to... Take a second here. Refresh myself. And look at some of the questions. Alright. Here's one. As an artist, I must ask. What is your favorite color of silicone to work with? Um, and actually, there's a follow-up question. But I'm going to fold that into another one from somebody else. Um, I like things that are on the... The darker end of the spectrum, uh, the purples, the blues, um, the the silvers, uh, when I say silver, I'm talking about more like a, a dark gray. Um, those are the areas that I like to play in as far as color. It's just part of what I like. Um, and so I know there are a lot of folks out there who like the, the fluorescents and the pastels Um, and so those styles, that type of, or those kinds of colorways, I will probably pass off to my minion because he has a better eye for color combinations and working with, uh, color. So, um, yeah, I tend to be on the darker end of the spectrum if it's not that end. I'm going to probably pass it to my minion so that uh, he can work his magic. Now the second half of that uh, was, what kinds of things do you like to take inspiration from in terms of color palettes? And there's also a question from uh, Thick Thighs, I'd uh, love to know what inspires shops with designs and how to keep up creativity levels. Not super creative, so I'm always in awe of how some shops manage to keep coming up with new models and designs. How do you maintain creative energy and what happens when you feel stuck? So I kind of put these together into the category of um, dealing with cre- creativity and how to be creative. Um, I don't think of myself as creative. I think of myself as um, a much more process-oriented person and so it's taken a long time for me to hear people say that I'm creative and not completely dismiss it. So even if you don't think that you are creative, chances are you probably have more creativity than you think. So how do I deal with times when I don't feel creative I actually dive into another area and there's a project that George had me working on um, a few weeks ago um, that took me into using a completely different material Um, it was I ended up working with um, copper copper sheet and working with color in terms of trying to create a a kind of patina on that copper and so that really got me thinking about color and how this material works and so by diving into a project like that i was able to kind of refresh my my perspective because I was forced into working with something that just was not in my normal wheelhouse. Um, Let's see. Uh, Yes, George forced me into working with glitter. Um, Yeah, that was a part of the project as well. But what I've found is that number one, you're probably more creative than you think. And number two, if you don't feel creative, dive into another category, another topic, another, um, creative endeavor, something that is going to force you to deal with something that is uncommon for you and it will stir those juices and get you moving. So, um, yeah i am also in awe of how some shops manage to keep coming up with new models and designs um i know how much work goes into that and so i'm really impressed with a lot of the shops out there who just keep coming out with new designs and and new colorways so all right let's see we're coming up on about 40 minutes here. Um, see if there's anything else that I wanted to get in. Um, oh, uh, there was a post I did earlier this week. I think it should still be around. Is it still up there? Let's see if I can find this. This one. Um, This was a post I did earlier this week because we have a Patreon. And what we are doing this month for all of our Patreon patrons is that for the month of January, if you are a patron, then you will get a code for a free custom toy. And that... Let me see if I can get back to me here for a second so that i can get to the correct page and yeah i think we can get to that one right so if you go to patreon.com slash amaviti uh, you'll be able to get in on the flourish patron which is for u.s customers u.s patrons it's 40 dollars If you're outside the United States, it is $60, but the difference there is really just covering postage. But if you are a Flourish patron, then cost 40 bucks, and you will get a free custom. Now, if you were paying attention earlier when I had the Amaviti website up, then you would have noticed that the customs, often run well what do they run 65 to 80 dollars so let's say you put together a parabolica in a soft do a chaos pour and we'll just pick three random colors here um so yeah it would be eighty dollars for that one to do a custom and patrons are paying $40 for the month of January so yeah basically it's half price so jump over to patreon.com slash Amaviti and uh, join up and we're only doing that for the patrons in January if you join in February um, we're not going to be doing anything like that for the patrons that month We'll do something special for them. It's just not going to be accustomed to your design. So. Any last minute questions. Get those in. Now. I don't know what platform you're watching on. So. um, If there is a subscribe button. a Follow button. Something like that. Hit that. Um, It makes me feel good. Knowing that there are folks out there. Who are interested. But. It also feeds the algorithm and lets YouTube know the kind of stuff that you like. Um, so give it a thumbs up, give it a like, and if you really like it hit subscribe so that, you know, I can feel a little bit better about doing this. Were there any other questions, George? Um, I think I've gotten to the bottom of the list. Uh, maybe not. Okay. What has been the most rewarding obstacle to overcome? That's a good one. I think the most rewarding. Okay, good. My answer will fit. Um, I think the most rewarding obstacle to overcome was hitting post on my first Etsy store. And actually listing my products out there for the the people to see and um, the validation that came from that was something that really helped me dive into it and really helped me make it through you know the first few months when you really question everything Um, so, yeah, that was really kind of the most rewarding obstacle. I have a feeling they were probably asking more about some of the process. They, the second one I'll put in there is figuring out how to deal with clumping pigments. It's 90, 95, 99% of the pigments that I use work great. There are a few colors and for some reason for me it happens to be my blue colors. They tend to clump and we struggled with that for a long time trying to figure out how to get that um, that problem to stop rearing its ugly head and it took a while but we did eventually figure it out. Um, we actually ended up making our own liquid pigments from dry pigments. And by doing a creating a liquid pigment out of the dry, we were able to separate the, it dropped. Let's see if it comes back, it's trying to to reconnect. My Wi-Fi went down. You still have Wi-Fi, right? Hmm. wi fis back up. Should be trying to reconnect. Ooh, and we're back. So, yeah, um, my internet dropped out there. I don't know exactly what happened. But uh, my streaming software is telling me that I'm back. So maybe, maybe I am, I'm not sure. I'll be talking out to the void for a few minutes here to see if uh, it ever reconnects for everybody else. Um, But uh, I'm not sure where it dropped out. I was talking about creating our own liquid pigments from dry pigments and uh, that solved a big problem for us. I know that other makers that I have worked with have had problems with fluorescence. And so, uh, everybody has their own particular hurdles that they are overcoming. Well, let's see. Do you want me to get this last, uh, last one in here? I'm going to do that and then we'll wrap it up for the evening. Um, Is that the last one that starts with a few possible questions? Mm, That's the last one I've got. So that's the one I'm going to, to close on unless George overrules me. Um, what's the most rewarding part of the business? How close are dildo shop owners? Do y'all talk? What's a business challenge most people don't think about or realize exists? And what are some of your favorite dildo shops? Okay um most rewarding part of the business is um, it's twofold um number one i like seeing something coming out of the mold and it's you know you can it's kind of like putting a cake in the oven you don't really know what it's going to be like until you pull it out and taste it once you pull it out of the mold and you see it you have a chance to really know what you did um but i will also say that money is something um money is oxygen to a business and so you have to have that uh, transaction that feeds the business so that you can keep doing the part that you actually enjoy how close are live shop owners and do y'all talk um i don't know in a sense they are fairly close um I can reach out to probably half a dozen different makers and um, know that I'm going to get a response back. And I think that um, in general, the, the makers, the playmakers out there are a really awesome bunch. Um, I, I know of a couple of discords as well. I don't want to, I don't want to speak from too much ignorance here. So I won't say, um, a whole lot, but other than to say, I know there are a couple of discords, one of which I know is open to the public. Um, and there are probably last time I was on there, there were 12, 20 makers. I think there were 20 different makers on that discord and they're all jumping into conversations. So, um, yeah, we do talk. I can, you know, go back to I had built up beasts on the, uh, the show a few months ago. I had uh, um, Fantasy Grove on and I have had uh, Paladin Pleasures on. Uh, I've got Paladin Pleasures coming back. I also have Pleasure Forge uh, in the books to come in. Um, I also have reached out to, you know, kind of toy adjacent categories. Uh, so I've got, um, uh, the butters coming in for an episode. Um, so it's an awesome group of folks. Um, and they are more than happy to help out. They are happy to help you solve problems. So, uh, what's a business challenge most people don't think about or realize exists? I actually meant to the part that I said about money earlier, about money being oxygen. That was supposed to be the answer to this question. Um, you have to you have to have the transactions. You've got to have the sales. You've got to put your products in the hands of people um, because you've got to have that, that cash flow. So that is... Probably the most challenging. Uh, Beyond that, I would say marketing is the second most difficult part um, in terms of in the toy market. Uh, Marketing is extremely difficult. You can't advertise on Facebook. You can't advertise on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, You can't do Google um, picture ads. You can do text Google ads. But what's the point of doing text ads? Um, the way to market indie toys is very, very difficult. Um, so that is a a big area that you have to work on. Um, oh, let's see. I saw this one. I'd love to know if you use your own toys and how you design them. Do you base it off your own sexual preferences? um without going into too many gory details i will say that um not only am i the president i'm a customer um (laughs) i think one of the funniest things about uh toy making um in part that you know people romanticize to a certain extent but also is um it's business um and you kind of bring your business home with you sometimes, and sometimes you you share your business with your partner, um, and that sounds romantic, um, but it is often so clinical that um, now we're I've got this toy. It's it's new. It's something I've just pulled out of a mold, and I'm I'm really curious to see how somebody likes it. And it turns into an interview. Well, what did you think about this part? And is it, it... Did this do what I expected it to do? And, you know... So, what about this? Did you like <laughs> this specific... And it's... I, George is over here. She's on this side of me. She's over here cracking up because... Well. Um, so, yes. The... um there is a um wow geez i don't know how to answer this any further than to say um like i said i'm a customer as well um and designs are often specific to a use i might have an intention for a particular toy And I will design it to that, whether it is prostate play or G-spot play or uh, something with some girth or um, whatever the intention might be, then the design will follow that. Um, But, uh, yeah, I think it's you think it's romantic and you think it's going to be, you know, this this passionate um, play session. And it turns into this almost like i said cold interview um what was the word we used clinical that was it It becomes almost clinical so um do you think you'll ever make penetrables jerk off toys or cochranes um what did you say we have talked about cochranes i actually have done a, a prototype um there is another design in the works right now um, that i think will be um interesting um penetrables are um i definitely want to the the difficulty that i come up with is the the designs that i have in mind have a lot of problems in terms of bubbles and trying to get the molds to work the way that I want them to. So, yeah, um, it's um, let's see. Oh, there's a saying I heard once, but it's the reverse of it. Let's just say it's easier to make a pole than to make a hole um, when it comes to silicone. So. Um, what dildo smithing technology or innovation do you wish existed in a world not constrained by the laws of science and nature? Oh, geez. Um, there's a question, dildo smithing technology, mm. something that is well, um, without constraint of science and nature. What my brain goes to is like a, a VR suit, something that you can wear um, or something that is more um, uh, anatomically specific. Uh, maybe it's underwear or something like that. But that material is actually kinetic. And that allows for somebody else to interact with it from distance. Um, so yeah, I'm thinking of a, a material kind of like, um, a, a suit or something like that. And something that would cover your body where you could feel the touch of somebody else that, um, from a distance, um, something that, Um, not only their touch but also that they could manipulate in a way that may not be possible with their hands um, or with something um, like that i it's i don't know if i can get the words out correctly what did you say um a remote transference material yeah i can yeah that's probably a pretty good way of saying it um, all right. Let's wrap it up for the evening. So, yeah, tons of questions. I actually have a ton more. Um, if we have used the question this evening, then those people will get a direct message through Twitter uh, for a uh, free squishy. So, uh,. Unless there's anything else. Oh, one last question. Would you be willing to, to live technical review critique of a model of mine for pouring? Um, yeah, I will be happy to give you my opinion. Um, and as George said, send me a direct message on Twitter um, and we'll connect either Skype or something like that. And we'll go from there. Thanks for joining me this evening, and we will do this again next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye.